Kia ora. Kofus Welcome to the house. Today on the house, I want to give you a small taste of maiden speeches given by this parliament's fresh new faces. One MP from each of the five parties that have spoken so far. There have been 35 maiden speeches. That's more than nine hours of brand new MPs introducing themselves. There are still about two hours to go, with six of the new Greens and the two new Labour MPs still unpresented. They each get 15 minutes. They generally take longer, but eventually the Speaker gets a few words in. To make a maiden speech to the House, I call on Andrew Hogarth. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the years, there have been several maiden speeches that will have inspired people or moved them to tears. This probably won't be one of them. <laughs> That's new ACT MP Andrew Hoggart. A little more of him later. 15 to 20 minutes is not really long enough to thank supporters and family, outline your background and personal history, and your political philosophy. Before MMP, they also used to spend oh, about half the time introducing the glories and the issues of their electorates. That's less of a focus these days. What you do get is an insight into a new MP, and after a lot of maiden speeches, the collective philosophy and personality of each party. Which I find fascinating. The question I always want to ask MPs is, why this party and not some other one? And sometimes they tell you this in their maiden speeches. Here, for example, is Rima Nachle, the new National Party MP for Takanini in South Auckland. Why do I feel so strongly about personal responsibility? Perhaps it's because of my mum's attitude that despite the material hardship she experienced as a youth, mum says she never had the inclination to steal or manipulate others to better her circumstances. Mum chose to go without rather than to steal. Why is law and order so important to me? Because people just want to feel safe. It's as simple as that. And when order becomes disorder, grandparents stop going, in, going out for grocery shopping, parents don't let their kids walk home from school, and dairy owners have to serve people from within cages. MPs often also outline how their background and their experience influenced their thinking. Here's new Green MP, Tamatha Paul. When I was growing up, watching my parents working 60, 70 hours a week without complaint, which was the norm where I'm from, that taught me what hard work really looks like. I grew up in a small town called Tokoroa. I'm really proud to have grown up in the 886, despite what the six o'clock news might have you believe. And I won't lie, Tokoroa is not for the faint-hearted. The things I saw growing up there is exactly the kind of behaviour you'd come to expect when the only investment you're getting as new liquor stores on every street corner and new pokey machines in every pub. Without romanticising the very real issues, I would say that that's what has made us even more determined to look out for one another. This is where I learned that if we work together and we share what we have with each other, there is enough for everybody to go around. And that's the fundamental ethos of the Green Party. That choice of party for each MP is quite a personal thing. It can be influenced by family, geography, profession, political philosophy, religion, personality and, God forbid, sometimes even policy. They can be quite counterintuitive as well. Former National MP Chester Burroughs said that he joined National because he was a Labour supporter and he was angry at the policies of Roger Douglas. 
new New Zealand First MP, Casey Costello, is someone who has been in the news a lot recently in relation to her ministerial responsibility for tobacco regulation. Here's a little of her view of her role. It has been in my nature, in my genes and in my heart to strive to make a difference. I have lobbied against government waste and lack of transparency and to demand accountability. I have fought for New Zealanders to be treated equally before the law, rallying against a narrative of race-based division. I have defended the rights of exploited migrants, advocating for victims and vulnerable communities. Mr Speaker, I see the task ahead as to show leadership in how we respect and accommodate difference while getting on with the job of finding practical solutions and not commentating on the problems. It is not to respond to those who have the loudest voice and who make the most noise. It is our job to restore balance and deliver outcomes. Most MPs include some political philosophy inside their speeches, but for some, it's a paramount concern. When new Te Pāti Māori MP Takuta Ferris gave his maiden speech, he spent 20 minutes giving a forceful constitutional and historical lecture on the subsidiary nature of the Treaty of Waitangi to the earlier Declaration of Independence. I've not come here to speak about myself or the nature of how I arrive in this whare. I've come to talk about our people, the many independent nations, the hapu, the iwi, the tangata whenua of this land, the principal partner in Te Tiriti o Waitangi, the authors of He Whakaputanga o Te Rangatira Tanga o New Tirini, the Declaration of Independence of New Zealand, the document that constituted this country we all call New Zealand. Yes, my friends, Te Whanau, Te Tiriti o Waitangi did not create a country. It established a constitutional relationship between two sovereign nations, one in the South Pacific, the other in the Northwestern Hemisphere. It afforded Pākehā the dignity of self-government in a foreign land, a land upon which their Queen's own law and authority had no right nor jurisdiction to exist. It afforded the Queen the right to purchase land in, a, in another sovereign's country, enabling her to care for, to nurture and grow her own people. Quite the magnanimous gesture on behalf of those chiefs in 1840. That is unusual. Most MPs tell you a fair bit about themselves and what brought them to the big house. After all, their maiden speech is one of just two times in their entire parliamentary careers that they can talk about their own hopes and dreams, their backgrounds and inspirations, without a presiding officer reminding them to return to the topic at hand, please. The other time is their valedictory, and many MPs never get a chance to make one of those, because you only get one if you leave voluntarily. So you might as well have fun with this chance which takes us back to where we started with ACT MP Andrew Hoggard, who talked a little bit about policy, about experience and his background. But he also included that other crucial and underappreciated element, family. But seriously, I do want to pay a special debt of gratitude to them. Because as the other farming members in this House know, you aren't just leaving your family behind during the week to deal with the usual issues that may come up in the family home, but also they get to deal with a thousand moving parts that make up a working farm, such as the herd breaking into the maize silage crop, which I wish was a hypothetical example, but it's not. That vandalism took place at one o'clock this morning. I am truly fortunate that my wife and daughters can support me by handling all of this. This isn't new for them. If it wasn't for my wife, I would not have been able over the years to engage in various forums, be involved in farmer advocacy, 
I have probably spent more winning anniversaries at World Dairy Summits with farming colleagues than at home with my wife. So once again, Audra, I am truly grateful for the support you provide to me. And to Michaela and Peyton, thank you for keeping me grounded, helping me recognise my place in the world, which is just below two cats, a dog and several pet day calves. <laughs> That was ACT's Andrew Hoggart, and earlier you also heard from a new MP each from National, New Zealand First, Te Pāti Māori and the Green Party. The new Labour MPs and the remaining Greens have their maiden speeches later this month. Now, if you're watching Parliament on TV, you'll have noted that sitting in front of the Speaker is the eponymous table, and at the table there is always a clerk. They are the Secretariat of Parliamentary Experts that administer the House and its committees. At that table, you will also find three well-thumbed volumes, two of them slim and one quite large and usually festooned with post-its. Except now there is a fresher version. Here's the Clerk of the House of Representatives, David Wilson, to explain. I think the three you're referring to, the standing orders, which are Parliament's rules, mm -hmm. Speaker's rulings, which are a collection of precedents, decisions made by previous speakers that uh, clerks have selected and published as being useful guides for the future. Um, and then the, I think the big one you're talking about is Parliamentary Practice in New Zealand, um, which is a book that's been written by the Clerk of the House and staff uh, since 1985, which is a really comprehensive guide to how our Parliament works. Yeah, because those other two books while they have some rules and some precedent, they're really sketchy. Uh, you know, they really don't explain very much. And no. they, they don't incorporate all the other things as well that make up how it works, right? That's right. They can't incorporate sort of the accepted ways of doing things, which are not necessarily rules. There might be conventions. They can't give you context either because... Um, you know, they, they simply set things out as they are, whereas the bigger volume can. It can uh, give you context and explanation. And the other really key thing for clerks is the reference back to where the original decision or conventional rule came from, so that we can look at that context as well. Yeah, because there's actually quite a few pieces of legislation and what have you that create Parliament as well, don't they? Things like the Constitution Act or what have you that are the way that things are. They're not just the standing orders. No, that's right. There's a, there's a range of uh, statutes involved as well, and it's useful to know uh, which ones apply where and which ones don't. And also, um, you know, a number of decisions that have been made by speakers in the past have context, and you're more likely to find that in a book that's got a bit more space to, you know, to devote to discussing those things. Why a particular ruling was made when it was made and what it really meant. Yeah, so it may or may not apply to the new circumstances you're looking at. It may, may have been very specific to a particular set of circumstances. The big book, the, the Bible, Parliament's Bible. You've just published a new edition of that. The fifth edition has just been published and released. I would say it just dropped, but you might actually break someone's foot with it. <laughs> yeah, it has grown uh, significantly since the previous edition, which was in 2017, and we try and get them out every five or six years. Even so, you know, a huge amount of changes in Parliament over that time. It's a dynamic institution. It changes its own rules every three years. But it's not practical to produce a book more often than that. And we do just have to draw a line in the sand about, um, you know, the time frame that it applies to. What's one of the things I like about New Zealand's Parliament is actually that it is really dynamic, much more dynamic than most parliaments. It's quite prepared to play with its rules, try things out and improve itself. That's right, both through that three-yearly review of standing orders, which can see some pretty significant changes, and it did last time round, but also during the term of a parliament, the parliament is willing to change its rules through sessional orders or temporary rules, either to experiment and try something new or to adapt to changing circumstances, as we had to during COVID-19. 
it does point out when you look at this book just how much there is to understand about how this place works, how confusing it can be, and why it is necessary to have experts in the room, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a big volume, and there's a lot in there, and we really have tried to arrange the book in a way now that makes that much more accessible and easier to find, because obviously everyone that comes to work here can't know everything that's in that book when they start, and um, we, we, you know, we want to make it easy to delve into and find the thing that you need to know. I guess one of the difficulties with it is, is knowing, if you're providing that context and background, when to stop. The book primarily focuses on what MPs and staff do in the parliamentary precinct. But of course, to get here, MPs have got to be elected. And so it delves into the electoral process. MPs have you know, important connections with their constituencies. That's the fundamentals of our democracy. It can't delve into that too much as well because you know the, the book would just grow to an unmanageable point. But it also includes things like the constitutional underpinnings of parliament and the surrounding infrastructure that makes it work. That's right, and, and there, there's a constant decision for the editor, um, which is me, uh, to make about um, you know, what we do include and what we don't, so that there's enough of a picture that people can understand why and how things work, while still keeping it to a reasonable size. Yeah. Look, congratulations on this new book. It is both beautiful and fascinating. Um, it's not a book that gets really wide circulation, I suppose. It's not one you see sort of uh, in the top ten at Whitcalls or something rather, but it's actually really fascinating and really important. Yeah, it is, and it does have, I think, niche readerships, but um, it is written in a way now and presented in a way that, you know, a layperson could if they wanted to read it. Certainly hope that tertiary students do, but also members of the public who are interested would, I think, find it pretty approachable and accessible. Yeah, yeah, gosh, if I'd known it existed when I was a politics student at university or, or was a very, very bad law student at university, I would have found <laughs> it really useful. Yeah, well, and we, we hope by, you know, modernising it, building on it and expanding some of the content, and um, particularly around select committees, because the coverage of those is always a little bit light. There's a lot more detail now. It's very well done. I think that's useful because the committees are a body that operate quite informally and it's difficult to know how they work without yeah. people who work in them writing it down. That was David Wilson, the Clerk of the House, talking about the new edition of Parliament's Bible called Parliamentary Practice in New Zealand. Happy reading. You've been listening to The House. It's a whakaranga koeiki This programme is produced with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matawa.